today's Money Mover, Wheaton Precious Metal CEO, Randy Smallwood. A commodities outlook. What's ahead for gold and the precious metal sector? Carl Quintanilla, Sarah Eisen, Money Movers. Today, 11 Eastern, CNBC. We are live at the Nasdaq market side after another wild week for the markets. Guys, you're getting ready behind me. And while they're doing that, here's what's coming up. We've had very good discussions with China. We're getting much closer to doing something. Hopes of a trade deal giving Chinese stocks a boost. Dan Nathan warns the breakout is really a fake out. He's got the trade. Plus, materials and industrials have been on a tear. But the chartmaster says, watch out. The moves could be nothing more than a bull trap. And just when you thought it might be safe to get back into the tech trade, Apple took down the markets today. But have no fear, Mike Coe says there's one big name investors should be hiding out in. He'll break it down. It's time to risk less and make more. The action begins right now. And we start with tech unraveling again today after Apple's earnings, the sector falling 2% on the session, now down nearly 10% from its highs just one month ago. So with all the tech turmoil, is there anywhere safe to hide out in the sector? Let's get to the chart master, Carter Worth over at the Plasma. Carter, what are you looking at? Look at an Oracle. I mean, it's an old line name. It's maybe boring, but in fact, it's showing a key thing. It's holding up when others are under pressure. So just a simple table. Uh, the numbers speak for themselves. In the month of October, of course, the, the worst month in uh, perhaps a decade or thereabouts, one of the worst October since 2009. You see Oracle, of course, it was down, almost everything was, but compared to the S&P, compared to the tech sector, compared to the Russell 2000, uh, that's an important thing, which is to say people were selling everything, but they sold a little less of this, um, and that, that is the definition of relative strength. So here's a chart. This is weekly bars. And it goes back uh, to 2013-14. We have a couple setups here. One of them is, of course, this head and shoulders bottom. Uh, but what we have now, I'd want to focus on this, is this <coughs> wedge, of course. And my hunch is that we're going to get a pretty good move out of this formation. Now, let's talk about the relative performance. This is that same chart. And what has happened three or four times is that when this starts to improve, when this starts to improve, which is just starting to improve, you then get both absolute and relative performance. So I think this sets up for the breakout absolute, and I like the developmental action on a relative. Oracle here, um, I want to be long. All right. Thanks for that, Carter. Well, the professor today is out in San Francisco. So, Mike, what's your trade on Oracle? Yeah, so, you know, Oracle's an interesting situation. You know, we have earnings coming up. This is not a name that has done all that spectacularly well, actually, coming out of earnings. It does move a decent bit, and we've had a couple disappointments, relatively speaking. But the valuation here, I mean, this thing is trading 14 times forward earnings. And when you consider that this has about 30% greater earnings than it did in 2015, when it was trading at approximately the same valuation, $180 billion, give or take, to me, this seems like a situation where we can probably go along with Carter's, you know, technical view on the upside. The thing is, because we've had those sort of setbacks after earnings, if I was willing to buy the stock, I kind of want to give myself a little bit of a buffer. And that's one of the reasons that I'm looking at a risk reversal. So in this trade specifically, I'm looking out to January. I could sell the 44 strike puts. That's about a 10 percent discount to where the stock is currently trading for 75 cents. Use the proceeds to fund the purchase of a 52 and a half call for the same amount of money. 
Net-net, I'm not laying out any premium, and the idea here is that if the stock does rally, this whole structure will increase in value in the short term. On the flip side, if for some reason it does fall back, and I am forced to hold this to expiration, have the stock put to me, I'm going to end up owning it at 44, which looks like a level of support. I'd actually like to go back to Carter and see whether he agrees with that. But that's essentially where we saw that swoon in June and then recovered. And so to me, I sort of look at that line and think that would be a level where I'd be thinking about getting long the stock if I had to. Swoon in June, 44. I mean, just keep going. That's exactly right. Perfect level, meaning owning it there uh, seems very reasonable. And then with a little luck, of course, and that's the bet. It, it's not going to go there in the first place. It's going to break out. So, uh, you know, listen, uh, the charting, if you didn't have the name Oracle Systems up there, I would say, wow, that looks like a really interesting technical setup. I like right. agree, the relative strength or whatever. But then when I think about it from a fundamental standpoint, I think about some of their competitors, I think about some of the things that we've heard about enterprise software, I say, I don't like it. Okay. And then when I think about Mike's trade, you know, fine. You want to get long the stock at 44? I'd say, wait a month. You may get a chance to just buy it at 44. And you're using that put. To buy that call, 52 and a half, that seems like the level you'd be very happy with if the stock got there. So to me, I don't love the risk reward because I don't really love the fundamental uh, setup, but the technicals look interesting, maybe if we were in a slightly different market. Right. So you don't think that the enterprise spending is going to be there? No. And you think there's going to be an FX headwind? And I headwind? think this is a company that literally has real, real serious issues with organic growth, specifically in their higher growing right. businesses. So the, 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 the interesting thing is, and all of that is a part of how buyers and sellers make a judgment, but... Even day-to-day -day action important. This stock was green today when tech was being murdered. That alone. So if there was someone buying because they think that things are good or the collective judgment was that this is a better place to be than other tech, I want to go with that. Mike, final word. Yeah, I mean, look, this is still a company that's growing its earnings at a decent rate. And if you take a look at their cloud business, okay, so that might actually be a fair point from Dan. Basically, they aren't quite as competitive against AWS and maybe secondarily against Microsoft. But that is an industry that has a secular tailwind. You don't have to be the best in, the, in breed, basically, to benefit from that. And there are other businesses on the database side are pretty sticky, and the valuation is there. So I think you combine all of those things, and actually we probably are sitting, sitting in a situation where there's a lot of vulnerability in tech generally, but maybe not as much in this one. All right, now let's move on to China. Getting a boost today in hopes of a trade deal. The FXI large cap China ETF rallying more than 5% this week for its best performance since mid-February. But Dan here says the breakout's looking more like a fake out. So Dan, why don't you give us your trade? Well, let's start with the chart, right? So I have a two-year chart here, and it's had about almost a 10% rally to this morning's open, and it failed right at that downtrend that's been in place from the January highs. What did it bounce off of? It bounced off of um, what I think is an interesting support level. I'll let Carter speak to that stuff afterwards. That's where I started. And then when I think about the messaging that went on, why did China's uh, market rip overnight? Well, there was some commentary that supposedly the president wanted to get a trade deal done. And then Eamon Javers, before the market opened, says, well, his sources are saying not. And then we had uh, National Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow come on Scott's show at noon and say no trade deal. And then the president says, well, it's a mess. OK, so here's the thing. I don't think we get any clarity over the next couple of weeks. And in some ways, I actually think there's potential for more volatility, no matter what happens in the midterms. I just don't think the Chinese have a lot of leverage here. And I think that puts pressure on their stock market over the next couple of weeks. So I think the bounce over the last week or so gives you a good opportunity to kind of put a short trade on. I like the idea of doing it with defined risk. Uh, it's called options action here. That's what we call the show or whatever. So, you know, listen, 
I think a good setup today. It got to 42. It failed here. It traded a little above or close a little above 41 today. So the trade I'm looking at is in November expiration, two Fridays um, from now. You look out, you could buy the 41.39 put spread, paying 60 cents for that. That breaks even down at 40.40. You can make up to 140 between 40.40 and 39 to the downside. Um, you know, to me, listen, this is a pretty simple trade. You're risking about one and a half percent of the stock price over the next two weeks, playing for a pullback back towards that bounce level. Level. Obviously, above that, I'm really looking for 39. I'm, it'll be, I only have two weeks for this thing to play out. But I think if there's a couple bad headlines for a trade deal happening anytime soon, this stock or this ETF is back at 39 in two weeks. And this expiration is before the G20. Yes, November yeah. 16th. And I don't think it makes a whole heck of a lot of sense to try to game that. That's right. in, uh, November 30th. That's why I'm looking out I mean, two weeks. If you think about it, so this is a circumstance that's going on in the FXI, and it's going all over the U.S. market, meaning the bounces were from the most beaten down names. So it's industrials that have bounced, it's autos, it's home builders, it's chemical names. And that's the only thing that's holding the market up as the key growth names continue to stall. Bounces in bad patterns or bounces in bad stocks generally are right to be faded. And that's exactly... You like my lines? Then look at those lines. I think that might even be a triangle of death. A triangle of death? It could be. That's that's, that's pretty 2015, but we'll go with it. It's that bad. Well, I, we used to laugh about the triangle of death. Yeah. The, the, the issue is this, that it's a, it's a major downtrend. It's very uniform, the counter trend move, and the ricochet, and it all works down to the point where you have the final puke. Hmm. Mike, do you like this trade? Yeah, I do. I mean, first of all, we do have relatively high options premiums in here as a result of the fact that, first of all, we've seen a 20 percent decline in FXI already. The other thing is that this is fairly catalyst driven. I think that's probably what Dan is taking a look at looking into the election, that basically if the elections come out and it looks like the trade disputes basically could be prolonged, then that's a situation that's definitely going to be weak for Chinese stocks and, frankly, for the emerging market more generally, which depends quite heavily on it. On the other hand, if it does look like you know, they're going to have to cave in on this, then I think you could actually get a pop. And that's one of the reasons why you definitely want to use options if you're going to try to press a short after the declines we've already seen. Yeah, and Mike just made a really good point about options premiums. The ETF is moving around. So not only are the um, implied volatility, the price of options expensive, but they're actually kind of fair relative to how much it's moving around. Now, you may say I'm risking one to make 2.2 if all things go the way I'd like. But it's a two-week trade. I like that risk-reward given the movement that we've seen. So to me, option prices look kind of fair. All right. Well, for everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. It's like you died and went to options heaven. (laughs) Need I say more? Here's what's coming up next. Caterpillar just had its best week in two years. But Mike Coe and Carter Worth say, watch out. The industrial giant is about to scratch investors. Plus... Calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. It was a big week for material and industrial stocks, both outperforming the broader markets. Dom Chu's back in the newsroom to break down those moves. Dom. 
Well, Melissa, as the market this week looks to try to find some kind of footing after a dismal month of October, perhaps it's not a surprise that some of the bigger rebounds after the recent sell-off have been some of the hardest-hit sectors. Over the course of this past month, both the industrials and material sectors have been underperforming the market, but in this past week's trading, they've been relative outperformers. Materials is posting at a nice little bounce back. Among the notable gainers there, you got chemical producer Dow DuPont up around 11% just this week alone, and then mining company Newmont has gained around 8%. Then there's the industrial side of things. One traders have been watching as being on the front lines when it comes to stock market reaction to the China trade developments and tariffs and whatnot. After taking a big hit in October, it's bouncing back as well. Among the big winners in that sector, a bounce back for United Rentals, up around 15% this week. Construction equipment giant Caterpillar, which has a lot of business in China, up around 10% for the week. And then you've got farm equipment maker Deer up around 7%. Now, Melissa, we have not reclaimed new highs, but they are bouncing, and that's probably a step in the right direction. Now, can those bounces last is the question back over to you. All right. Thanks, Dom. Have a great weekend. Dom Chu. Despite the rally, Carter says one of those names could be nothing more than a dead cat bounce. He's back at the plasma to break it all down. Carter. Right. So we're going we're to look at Caterpillar. But what, what we know is that the, the stock market was able to rally this week because of heretofore very <coughs> beaten down stocks from autos to housing to materials to industrial, all of which ricocheted 10, 15 uh, percent in some instances. Those are not positive moves. Those are, in principle, dead cat bounces. Stocks that are down 40 and 50 percent, moving up 10 or 12, it doesn't change a thing. So let's look at the material sector. And what we have, of course, is just that circumstance. Yes, you have this sort of big ricochet, but it doesn't really change the circumstance that this is basically an asset that's peaked in January and has never made the new high with the market. And now the issue is that having bounced, you're getting at some point back to where the bounce runs out of steam. Could it go a little bit more? Sure. But the real risk is that after you get a dead cat bounce, the cat, which is dead, falls back down to the concrete. Let's go on to the next one. Here is the XLI. It's really the same circumstance, right? And you could draw the line so many ways. Was it a double top? Of course it was. Is this a plunge? It's a big one. But is the ricochet basically getting to where the overhead supply, meaning all of this represents people who purchased the stock whose cost basis is higher once it was sitting down here. And once you ricochet back, a lot of these people become interested sellers. They want their money back, having lost it. And then, in principle, the cat can fall back and lie dead on the ground. Speaking of cats, here's a cat. Um, and we have a big ricochet. In fact, it hit 112 low. It almost reached uh, 130. And interestingly, it filled this little gap that was left behind on the plunge. And this is also basically the same principle. This is where a lot of supply is. My hunch is that after this ricochet, cat fails. Could they bounce another day or two? Sure. But this is a point at which I would take the money and run. All right. So, Mike, what's the trade? Yeah, so I think we're going to take a look at selling a call spread here. And the reason that we're going to look at doing this, number one, for what just Carter was outlining right there, that we're going to be running into some resistance here. Options are actually quite expensive, despite the fact that one of the catalysts that usually makes them go higher Earnings already took place on the 28th of October. So this is a situation where we want to sell those expensive options. Of course, that improves our probability of profit if we're short options, because basically if the stock does nothing or moves in our favored direction, we're going to get to collect the premium. 
But the downside, of course, of selling options is that you can take on some risk. So by using a call spread, we can limit the amount of risk that we're actually taking. And specifically, the trade I was looking at was the December 130, 135 call spread. And at the time I was looking at this, you could collect about $1.65, which is approximately one-third of the distance between the strikes. And the idea here is that it's going to hold below 130 by at least the amount of premium that we're collecting. Now, that gives us about 5% cushion to the upside. And if we take a look at the probabilities that I was talking about earlier, there's about a 36% chance that Caterpillar could be above that 130 strike uh, on expiration and about a 25% chance that it gets up to that 135 call that we're buying to protect our upside. So let's think about that odd for just a second. Basically, what's going on here is if there's a 36% chance that it's going to get to 130, that means that there's a 64% chance that it does not get there. That's basically the probability that we could collect all of the premium that we're getting on this trade by expiration if we hold it that long. And of course, we can see that since there's only a one in four chance that it gets up to that 135 level, that's not really important except that we can see that the stock was in fact sharply higher than it is right now earlier this year. So if we somehow got something that would propel FXI higher or propel industrials higher or propel CAT higher, we're capping the amount of risk that we take. Dan? Yeah, so what I really like about this trade, you're leaning on those levels that Carter identified. That breakdown level at 130 should be some pretty interesting resistance. Now, if the stock gets above it briefly, um, there's no reason to panic because you are actually short the call spread. It's not like you're just short um, a call here. And Mike's probabilities make um, a lot of sense. So it wouldn't take much for that stock to come back in back below that 130 level, and you're going to have a profit in this trade. So I like the trade idea. That being said, if it can't get above 130 and the, the, the market climate remains kind of volatile, this thing is probably going to go back and test that 112 over the I mean, next couple of weeks. I think ultimately that's, that's the hope, yeah. right? That this is just a, a dead cat bounce. It's a ricochet and something that's been very beaten up, and that it's back to a level where two things happen. Those who are trapped above, having seen some of their money return to them, take it. And then two, those who bought just three, four days ago, brilliantly or dumb luck, they've got big gains. They start to sell into the bounce. Supply is here. Mike, last word. Yeah, you know, I mean, one quick point I would say is that, you know, if, if for example, this thing does manage to hold up, the valuation isn't overly expensive, and that could create some level of support at, at slightly lower levels. And to me, this is more of a resistance story than a bottom falls out story, which is the reason why I'm looking at selling a call spread rather than going out and buying some of what are very expensive puts right now. All right. Still ahead, McDonald's, one of the best-performing Dow stocks in the last month, and the charts are pointing to even more gains. We will explain. Plus, got a question for one of the traders. Of course you do. So send us a tweet to add options action. If it's nice, we may read it later in the show. We are live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more options action right after this. Today's Money Mover, Wheaton Precious Metal CEO, Randy Smallwood. A commodities outlook. What's ahead for gold and the precious metal sector? Carl Quintanilla, Sarah Eisen, Money Movers. Today, 11 Eastern, CNBC. Welcome back to Options Auction. Time to take a look back at some of our open trades. Last month, Carter and Mike said McDonald's shares were about to heat up. Since 2011, McDonald's is up. 60%, the market's up about 120, half the performance. But I think that's the opportunity. McDonald's having underperformed is looking as though it's going to catch up and start to come to life. What I was looking at was the December 165 puts. When I was looking at these earlier today, you could sell them for about four bucks and a quarter, $4.25.
Well, they were right. Shares of the fast food giant up more than 5% since the time of the trade. So, Mike, what do you do with McDonald's now? You know, a question that probably a lot of people have is when you sell an option like this and basically the stock's gone in your direction and it's diminished in value significantly, that thing's worth about $1.50 now, which means we've collected almost two-thirds of the total amount of premium that you could collect by December expiration has already been collected and we could just close the trade out. What's the probability, though, that that option is going to expire worthless? Right now, the options market's implying that there's probably less than a 20% chance that McDonald's actually falls below that strike. However... Because we have already taken in most of the money, because I feel like the market's a little bit wobbly here, I'm inclined to take my profits and move on. Carter. I think that's right. I mean, we were in for a tactical reason, and that result has been achieved. The real issue is this. Independent of this trade, does one want to basically be in McDonald's versus other areas of the market? It's a very defensive name, and it acts well. It was up in October. That alone says it all. All right. Well, also last month, Dan said big tech was heading into trouble. The QQQ could set up as a really good hedge if you're trying to wait it out to the end of the year and hold on to some of these names. I think you look out to November expiration. The November 173, 160 put spread could be bought for $3. Well, that NASDAQ 100 ETF is down 2% since the time of the trade. So, Dan, how are you trading the Qs now? Yeah, so it's all about MAGA, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon. They're really all going lower. It is catching on. Um, I think you stick with this trade. It's a small winner on Monday when the thing touched 160 at the short strike of this thing. It was worth a lot more. But I think this is really what you want to have on for the next couple of weeks because I think we see lower lows in the MAGA complex. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, there's risk in the Qs because they're big names that have yet to really come apart, as so many already have. All right. Tweets and final call up next on Options Action. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take your tweets. Our first viewer asks, is it stupid to buy naked options as a way to play earnings because implied volatility contracts after the report? Dan, what do you say? Yeah, Nino, it's a great question. You need to get a lot of things right, long premium, into events like earnings, direction, magnitude of the move, and timing. And it's really hard to make money doing it that way over time. Final call time, Mike Coe. When stocks hit resistance, sell credit spreads. I'm selling call spreads in CAT. Carter Worth. Oracle on the long side, CAT on the short side. Dan Nathan. Yeah, so I expect the FXI, I expect Chinese equities to continue to be volatile. I like November put spreads. All right, that does it for us here on Options Action. We'll see you back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.